you are the owner of a company called Evidec that makes over a hundred million dollars. You've worked with Academy Award winners and a Fortune 500 leaders, just to name a few things that you've accomplished. So accomplishing so much in your life, how has your life changed? And like, what do you get to do to celebrate your achievements? Did I hear you mention that your father... He got his first job when he was eight at a watch company, and he started his first business when he was 13. And he became a multimillionaire when he was in his like late 20s, early 30s. One of his business partners before he bottomed out was a guy named Alan Smith, who started a company after my dad. And it was a multi-billion dollar company. It's publicly traded. It's called Harbor Freight. And great guy, really fun, wonderful person, uh, but just didn't have uh, the, the guidance for himself on how to sustain wealth. Yeah. So that was a great lesson for you once you decided to come become an entrepreneur. Absolutely. That's why I do a podcast called Longshot Leaders, because I've been through so many hills and valleys, but I've learned to sustain success. And um, that's why I'm sitting here talking to you today among many, many other crazy stories and, you know, things. Thank you so much, Brittany Mac. I love saying that name. <laughs> a lot of people say my whole name. <laughs> this uh, this one reason. What a cool name. That's a star's name. Thank you. I've heard that a lot, too. <laughs> yep. You're up, you're ready, and you're listening to the Brittany Mac Podcast. Everyone has a story. Applying them to inspire the world weekly on Motivation Mondays. Here's your host, Brittany Mack. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Brittany Mac Podcast. Today we have Mr. Michael Stein. Introduce yourself, Mr. Michael. Well, my name is Michael Stein. I'm an entrepreneur, stand-up comedian, filmmaker, actor. I uh, give you a little bit of a little background on myself. I uh, do a podcast called Longshot Leaders, and I consider myself somewhat of a long shot. You know, I my grandmother escaped the Russian concentration camps on the way to America. My dad was a New York homeless street kid. Became a millionaire only to become homeless again. And I grew up a premature, unplanned child, uh, health issues, ADD, ADHD, dyslexia. Didn't really have much success. Uh, other than making people laugh at me or myself, you know, uh, make a laugh at anything really. And and I was just uh, strumming along. And one day I saw the movie Rocky and I was like eight, 11 or 12 years old. I said, here's a guy like me. He's, people think it's funny. He's not very successful. He keeps on failing, and but he keeps on getting back up. So I said, the only difference between myself and this guy is he's physically fit. So from that day, I started working out every day. By the time I was 16, I was physically fit and I got a job at my local gym when I was going to high school. And I was like, you know what? Time plus effort. Who would have thought? That'll create a, an outcome that you want. So I uh, told my tutor, I said, you know, in high school, she goes, what do you want to do when you graduate? And I said, well, I'm not going to go to college. I said, I want to be an entrepreneur, an actor, and a, and a stand-up comedian. And she goes, you might want to work with your hands because not everybody's meant to do what they want to do. So I said, screw you. Went off to start my own business day after high school. Failed miserably, but about six months later, I did stand-up comedy when I was 19 for the first time, and I did pretty well for a lot of people there. So I said, you know, I'm a, these dance clubs were pretty big in the late 80s. And I said, I'm going to do a dance club, be a, dance, a nightclub promoter. And uh, six months after that, I became the number one nightclub promoter in my age bracket in L.A. And that led me to be get more acting work, and I became a 
an actor and a filmmaker. My first acting role was playing Dirt Diggler in the Dirt Diggler story, which became the movie Boogie Nights, which I appear in as well, and made a lot of my own movies and uh, acted in some movies. And, you know, one of the last films I did was called Love Hollywood Style, which was a, uh, a film of, <laughs> about dysfunctional love in Hollywood. No one was going to let me make this movie. And uh, I said, fine, I'll just start my own business uh, to pay for it. Only problem was I was broken and dead. But within about six months, I had enough money for the movie. And I said, you know, I'm going to start to become an entrepreneur again because you can control your own destiny. And ever since that business started, I've made way, well over $100 million on that business and continues to grow. And uh, that's why I do a podcast called Longshot Leaders because I've been through so many hills and valleys, but I've learned to sustain success. And um, that's why I'm sitting here talking to you today among many, many other crazy stories and, you know, things. Absolutely. Did I hear you mention that your father was homeless? Yeah, he was a New York homeless street kid. He got his first job when he was eight at a watch company and he started his first business when he was 13. And he became a multimillionaire when he was in his like late 20s, early 30s. But then he like never had the education above eighth grade. And he just uh, he threw it all away. He just bought a crazy lifestyle. But uh, I saw that ebb and flow. Um, one of his business partners before he bottomed out was a guy named Alan Smith, who uh, started a company after my dad. And it was a multi-billion dollar company. It's publicly traded. It's called Harbor Freight. And I saw this rich man, poor man scenario. And I, uh, you know, used that as a lesson, you know. Love my dad. He's a great guy. But he just couldn't hold on to his wealth. Uh, and uh, basically, you know, it was a learning experience for sure. Right. So he was wealthy and then he lost it all. Yeah. Yeah. He made made millions and he had a crazy lifestyle. He did a just lived a life of a rock star. Uh, although he wasn't a rock star, he was an entrepreneur, but he just he just was went, you know, sheer carnality and craziness and all kinds of things that you've seen in movies. But uh, this was real life and he just blew it all. And, you know. Went to jail at one point, you know, for, you know, check fraud and all kinds of crazy activities. But he finally, you know, was able to kind of bounce back after he was living in his van for about a year. And, uh, but he never really bounced back to where he was in the riches. He had just, you know, kind of just got by. But, uh, you know, it was an interesting journey. Great guy, really fun, wonderful person, uh, but just didn't have uh, the, the guidance for himself on how to sustain wealth. Yeah, so that was a great lesson for you once you decided to come become an entrepreneur. Absolutely. And he taught me how to hustle, that's for sure, you know, like have that street mentality. So I got that down, you know, and uh, I found myself, you know, kind of going through almost, as I, you know, with this film that I did, Love Hollywood Style, you know, I had two-time Academy Award winner, Faye Dunaway and Coolio and Andy Dick and a bunch of other actors. And I was like, you know, this is going to be a good film, you know, but... I'm, I'm burning a lot of money that I made with my business. And I don't want to end up like my dad. You know, I want to make sure I take care of this business. So I made sure that business was taken care of. That film came out, did okay at film festivals, got bought, didn't really make a lot of money. But, you know, in order for me to sustain, you know, individuality and success, I nurtured that business and it's grown ever since. Wow. That's amazing. So um, I know sometimes when you are, well, when you're in entrepreneurship, you know how some businesses are going to fail and you just keep trying till you find that hit. 
So at first you had a business that failed. And what was the motivation to try again? Uh, you know, just seeing my dad go through all his, you know, seeing, I grew up with like, you know, <laughs> hearing stories of like how we lost everything. My, my great grandfather, uh, before the Russians were gathering up all the Jews, he had a huge candy factory in Kiev and they just confiscated everything and they were going to put them in concentration camps, but they escaped to America. Wow. And they had nothing. So I kind of, that was my bedtime story. You know, I was like, you're lucky to be alive. So I was like, okay. And then my dad, you know, I was like, I want this toy or I want that. I was like, what are you talking about? Your dad was homeless. You shouldn't, you know, don't, don't start complaining about anything. And, and the other thing is, is that I just, there was a word hustler. Usually sometimes people say the bad word, but this is, I grew up with that word when, before it was widely used and being a hustler was a good thing. It meant that you were, you didn't like rest, you know, you were, you were a hustle hustler. You went out and you try to make things happen. So I kind of grew up with that creed and mentality of learning how to hustle. And uh, we used to call that the hustle bustle. And that's what uh, my dad would, you know, that's the good thing about my dad. He was a born hustler, born salesman. And, uh, you know, men wanted to be friends with him and women wanted to be with him. And he, he had that part down. Yeah. You have a really interesting story. It's very inspiring. The concentration camp and the homelessness and everything like that, that's really deep and that's very inspiring. So I feel like your life literally is a movie in itself. Being a filmmaker, would you ever take inspiration from your own story? Yeah, well, that's what my stand-up is usually, you know. I have really, there's been a lot of dysfunctionality in it. So you take lemons, you make lemonade, right? So, you know, mm -hmm. my mom, I was an unplanned child out of a large family, so she would tell People, she's barely, she knows, she's like, yeah, I drank, I smoked, I ran up and down the stairs, but my son survived. I'm like, mom, can you just tell them if you want paper or plastic? You don't need to tell everybody the story. <laughs> and, uh, you know, my uh, my dad, you know, his he had a crazy family, you know, his, unfortunately his his brother shot and killed himself, you know, and died in my dad's arms. And I, there's just a, a litany of stories I can go through, but uh, you take these stories um, and you, you know, you could either write about it, you can make a movie about it, you can, you know, which I, I have written a movie about, but, but a lot of times if you want instant satisfaction, you know, stand-up comedy is so perfect for it. So I like just kind of write what I know and I, I include all these stories in my stand-up. Mm -hmm. How did stand-up comedy eventually help you with business? Uh, well, it helps you with everything because what it does, you can't have too much pride as a stand-up comedian if you want to do it right so like the greats like richard pryor and you know rob williams and all those guys they'll talk about their insecurities their vulnerabilities and take it makes you reflect on who you really are you know and kind of get to the reality of situations so you know when you start a business you're like okay what are my strong points what are my weak points you know you know, and it kind of got, it gets you also involved in personal development, you know, inherently, you know, kind of static economy is about opening up those old wounds and kind of looking at the darkness and trying to bring light to it. So that's why I got into personal development. It just kind of seemed natural to me. And that's, you know, when, by the time I was done with doing a journey of stand-up comedy and doing a journey of, you know, uh, personal development, while I was, you know, a nightclub promoter, I succeeded well because I understand you know, 
there's a long journey and I continue to learn, but it's like, you know, what makes you do what you do? Why do other people do what they do? What are, what are your weak points and, and, and understanding the way your brain works that, that all helps. And that all started with me doing stand up, you know, and kind of self-reflecting. I think self-reflection and, and uh, humility goes a long way. Right. What is your 10 points recipe to set you up for success? Well, first thing is, is that you understand scope of a situation. No matter say, I, I want, you know, X, Y, and Z. So understand the who, what, where, why, when, and how. And then Toyota has what is called the five whys. You know, Toyota, the company, the car company, mm-hmm. they'll sit in their factory and they'll ask themselves, you know, five times, why is this? Why is that? Why is that? Well, why is that? I try to do that, you know, when I'm trying to understand the scope of the situation. And that is, I will, you know, say the who, what, where, why, when, and how, and ask myself five times. So understand what's going on. Now, once I do that, I understand what I want, then I will prepare, 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 prepare. 95% of preparation of success is preparation. So I'll maybe take a spreadsheet. I said, look, this is the date that I want to be able to accomplish this by. And I make sure that it's more than enough time. And then I'll kind of work this like a book, like I'm writing a story. And I'll say, okay, here are the milestones that I need to reach that date or that thing. Then I'll take all these dates and lead up to it. It's like, well, I might have to push that date back. And I always set it up for a win. You know, the other thing is, is then, you know, the, once you get, you know what you want, you got to be able to control your emotions. So then you need something called the triad of emotions, which is, this is what gets people that are successful to do what they need to do to follow through. And that is, first of all, you take immediate action. Once you understand what you want, you take immediate action. I don't want to skip over that. But once you do that, then you need to control your emotions and your emotions are controlled by three things. It's called the triad of emotions. It's your physiology, it's your focus and your words, internal and external. So how you carry yourself physically under your facial muscles and your whole body from head to toe is a recipe on how you're going to feel. So you want to mind that and make sure that you're set up for success. What is a successful person? What is What do you do when you're successful? What does your body do? What does your face do? That's that's one part of it. The other part is the, um, the vocabulary, what you're saying to yourself and others. Is it setting you up? Are you focusing on success or where you want to go? Or were you, you know, are you not getting enabling yourself, depending on that dialogue? If you want to lose 50 pounds, you tell everybody, I'm going to lose 50 pounds. You tell yourself, I'm going to lose 50 pounds. And then you tell yourself that every day, your chances are going to be much greater for losing that 50 pounds. And then um, the uh, focus, what do you think, what are you visualizing every day? You know, are you visualizing what you want? You might be visualizing about, you know, I'm visualizing about a puppy. Well, you might not. Puppy's not a part of your plan right now. Yeah, but I keep all I do is think about puppies, all that. No, you got to think about what you want. So visualize it. The picture, picture sounds and feelings of those things. So that's really important. And all, and then uh, personal development, you know, taking care of your body and taking care of your mind are two other key points. You got to take care of your, you don't take care of, you know, your body, that's that's rule number one, that's your temple. That's what keeps you driving. That's what gets you enough energy to move throughout the day. Also, it'll set you up for psychological wins because you're taking care of your body. And then you got to take care of your mind because that's the tool that's helping you enable. Um, there's more, but those are some of the, I think that was about five or six right there, that are the cornerstones of my 10 points that I described. Absolutely. What is your personal development background and what is human needs psychology? Mm. 
Yeah, uh, my background is predominantly uh, Tony Robbins. Everything he's ever taught, I've pretty much mm. done. Um, <laughs> he's amazing. My journey started with my, uh, my, I was in love with this girl. We were in love with each other, but we, we had to move on. Was, you know, we moved on, but I still wasn't over her like six months. And she calls me up. She goes, you know, you're better than this. I can see that you're still down. You know, she's so sweet. She's calling me, you know, and that's how, that's how I was a good person. And she says, you know, my dad's friends with this guy. He's named Tony Robbins. This is when Tony Robbins just first started out. He was yeah. like into it for a year or two. I said, that guy in the infomercials, you know, the guy with the big teeth. And she's like, yeah, yeah, he's really good. You guys should get his program and listen to it. And I was like, well, I am kind of into self-improvement. I already was at that point. And then I just listened to him and I'm like, this guy clicked. I really, it makes sense to me. And, and since then, I, I've kind of just done his whole journey and I've done other people's journey when it comes to any aspect of life. So that just set a journey of two steps forward, one step back. People's like, hey, I read that book. I'm all good now. No, to me, it's like working out, you know? So that's been my personal development. Now, six human needs psychology is something that really clicked with me. And that's what Tony Robbins talks about quite a bit from Maslow's uh, Human Needs, <clears throat> which was a hundred year old philo psychological philosophy about why people do what they do. And why people do what they do is basically for six reasons, certainty, uncertainty, growth, contribution, significance, love. Um, now you say, well, I do things for this reason. It usually leads back to those reasons. Certainty is, is a security need. You need to feel certain it's, you know, you need to have security. Significance, you need to feel a somewhat sense of importance. Uh, Uncertainty is a variety need. You know, you need a sense of variety. You can't do the same thing every day, eat the same thing every day, do the same thing every day. I told you nothing's going to change. You can be like, oh, I'm getting depressed because you're not having anything change. Connection. If I told you you're going to be in the world by yourself, you're going to feel pretty bad no matter how much you hate people. <laughs> you're going to, or, or identify with, you know, a pet or anything. You still need connection from something. And then uh, feel like you're growing. You need a sense of growth, you know? and contribution. All these are integrated with each other, but if you don't have a sense of why you do what you do and, and a vehicle towards getting positive things towards those human needs, they say, well, why does person, you know, join a gang? Well, that's because they're gonna get connection. They're gonna get, they're gonna feel significant. They're gonna feel loved by the people in the gang. They're gonna feel secure. They're gonna have to be certain of the protection. <clears throat> now that's a negative vehicle towards getting what you want, but sometimes that's the only option or they feel like that's the only option. Now, other people, you know, mother Teresa said, well, I'm going to gain significance by contributing. I'm going to, you know, you know, all these are going to get integrated. I'm going to, that's who I'm going to feel, know, know who I am by, by being that person. So once you, you know, understand what's a good decision, which would be the triad of a good decision. What's a, and this is an art form, it's not an exact science. The triad of a good decision is, if it's good for me and it's good for you and it's good for the greater good, that's a usually a good decision. So if you say, I don't know if this is a good decision or not, you know, well then ask yourself, is it good for me? Is it good for you? Is it good for the greater good? Then you should follow through with that and, um, and try to meet your needs, your six human needs that way with that decision joining you know mother Teresa no those check a lot of the boxes you gotta have all three to make it a good decision now you might say Michael what are you talking about what about people that go to war 
if it's good for me, it's good for you, but it's not good for the greater good, or it's good for the greater good here in the United States. Those are tough decisions that, that, you know, countries have to decide. But as far as the individual, you know, a big portion of those decision makings can be done with the triad of a good decision. Good for me, good for you, good for the greater good. Have your, and have your human needs be met through that funnel. <clears throat> and that's kind of like a reader's digest version of a small, you know, quick down and dirty explanation of what six human need uh, psychology and making decisions is all about. Right. As a child with ADHD, dyslexia, and health issues, what was it like and how did you overcome that? Well, you know, first thing I told myself, because I found out I was in a, as an adult that somebody said, you know, that had studied ADHD, they, they, their wife had it, they, they said that they, they said, you've got it, you check all the boxes, here's this, these websites, and I looked at everything, I'm like, yep, yep, yeah, every single website, everything, you know, and my, my youngest daughter, she was diagnosed with ADHD. Uh, now, that said, I don't think it's an exact science. And I didn't want to give it too much credence. I didn't want too much, you know, inertia to say, well, this is what I have. So then I said, you know, if you're going to believe something, okay, well, let me look at what I can do. If that's some of the negative things that, you know, ADHD people have. And I looked at those things. So now I'm cognizant of that. I can combat those things, whether I believe this or not. And I tell myself what I just told you to make sure that it's not absolute. And, uh, Basically, there are some really good things about ADHD. They say Albert Einstein had ADHD. I said, oh, good. Well, I'll use those to my advantage. Michael Jordan had ADHD. They say he has ADHD. Like, good. I'll take those and I'll use that to my advantage. I'll take the negative ones and I necessarily won't believe them, but I'll work on whatever those are possibly and I'll be, I'll make sure that I can combat those. And I also believe that the mind is a muscle and that you can work on these things so that's how I combat it. Right. Yeah. So that hyper focus, they say that that's what helped Michael Jordan and helped Albert Einstein. And it's like, good. Then if they say I have that, then I have a gift. And we all have this gift that will enable us to do that. So mm-hmm. uh, I'll take that. Thank you. I'll put that in my back pocket. And then all the, all, and they say the, the problems that we have is like, okay. Fine, I will be aware of those. So if those kind of creep up throughout the day or a situation happens, what can you do? So let's say that they say the dopamine drops in ADHD. You know, they say our dopamine doesn't stay up as high as the other uh, other people. And that's why some of one of the aspects of many of why you can't concentrate. And I just found that out years ago. You know, I was like, great. So in order to pump up your dopamine, you can do a physical activity. So if I'm working and I'm an hour four and a half. And I'm not as productive and I find my mind racing and I'm not able to concentrate. Well, I'll just get up and do 30 jumping jacks. And I, boom, I got, I, I, I just up my dopamine. You know, do I need to kind of do jumping jacks 30 minutes later or an hour later? Yeah, who cares? I, that, that's, I could do that, you know, and these patterns and, and these, these things that when these things occur and I'm aware of whatever they say, this is what, what, what can I do to combat that? And then you exercise those things and you just move forward. Absolutely. And also, I want to mention that um, you are the founder and CEO of Abadak Incorporated. And it's a company that started with zero money and has since made over $100 million. How did your experience in the film industry help you with building 
a company unrelated to Hollywood? And also, how do you create that company while broken in debt? Right. Good questions. Uh, so I was a filmmaker. I, I left my nightclub business uh, that was lucrative, and then I went off to be a filmmaker and an actor. And uh, made an award-winning short film, got tons of movie uh, me- you know, uh, uh, deals or meetings around uh, Hollywood, and uh, just didn't turn over no movie deal. So I was broken in debt, and I was like, I got to be an entrepreneur again. So I wanted to make this movie, you know, that no one would let me make. So I said, I'm going to start this this business to pay for it. And um, out of desperation, I, you know, as I was working as a production assistant on commercials, you know, you know, if I had to work late hours, I I would just come home and I'd start. I was building this website, tarpsplus.com, and um, basically, I, I had credit card debt. I filed bankruptcy the year before because everybody said they were going to pay for a film and they no one paid for the film. And even though it got bought by HBO, they only paid for half of it. And I was in, I was in bad shape. <clears throat> so I started this business, finally launched it. And lo and behold, just started clicking because I was, you know, you know, working a lot of hours, just putting a lot of everything's always hardest in the beginning. So uh, the way that, you know, I think Part, your whole journey helps another part of your journey. So writing screenplays, I wrote like at the time I've written eight screenplays, you know, my whole life. But I, I think at the time I, I was on my fifth screenplay. I was like, I can write a, I can, I can, you know, build a website and write all the content for a website. That's easy compared to writing a screenplay. <laughs> and I, I could, you know, when I graduated high school, I could barely write, you know, I just, all I just wrote, wrote comedy. So by forcing myself into the desire to be a filmmaker, it taught me on how to write and understand and character development and story structure. And just, you know, that helped business as well. All this part of the help, the journey helped. So, um, but also the desire, you know, for the first year of this business, I was like, this is my film business. I'm just doing this, you know, because, you know, but I was like, this film, this, this so-called film business, this tarp business is really successful. And I should take care of it, nurture it because it's actually will pay for any other dream that I want to be able to do. And as we speak today, we're launching uh, a new company at the end of the year called Bolator, which is a patented branded unique style of it's, it's a backpack that turns into it. It's also a soft core opens up to a tarp. It's also a hammock. It has a drain for survival. It's a unique family of products that we built around here. And we think it'll be something really huge that'll dwarf Tarsh plus. So, all that was done through the desire to make a movie. So the movie didn't do as well as I wanted to, but the business did so much more. And, you know, you know I went in a roundabout way. That's how it helped. Among also learning what I learned in the film industry and learning how to deal with all kinds of different people in film production and, uh, and seeing, you know, working on so many different, you know, um, and also forcing yourself out there with so many different, you know, uh, having tough skin, you know, uh, you know, if the film industry will beat you down. Um, and uh, if you if you let it, you know, so um, the, all that, you know, hard knocks helped uh, when it came time to do a business. I was like, I was used to doing business, you know, being around it with my dad and everything. But then the film business really kind of was my education, you know, um, which enabled me to move forward. Absolutely. And also you have a podcast called Long Shot Leaders. So why did you start that podcast? 
Yeah, just because of all these stories of like people failing and succeeding and seeing, you know, all the failure and success, you know, the ebb and flow of that throughout my life. I said, you know what, when you do a podcast, you're like, what, what would I do? What I have to offer? And I didn't want to do anything that wasn't like where I could really offer something that I know what I'm talking about. Or I don't want to come off like I was like an authority on something that I wasn't, but I'm an authority on, you know, everything we discussed today, you know, so I'm authority on maybe personal development, stand-up comedy, or, you know, independent filmmaking, business, failing and succeeding. I have a lot of, you know, examples of, you know, um, and I understand the journey of what it's like to fail and succeed and what the different, you know, what happens to you psychologically, uh, you know, through the, the hills and valleys of that journey. So um, that was just an easy, you know, thing. So yeah, that's it, you know, and plus it's also, since Rocky's one of my inspirational movies, the movie that really inspired me. I said, what, what movie have I seen that would, you know, resemble a podcast, you know? And I was like, well, it'd probably be Rocky, you know? So mm -hmm. that's why I came up with Longshot Leaders. Absolutely. So again, you are the owner of a company called Evidec that makes over a hundred million dollars. You've worked with Academy Award winners, and of Fortune 500 leaders, just to name a few things that you've accomplished. So accomplishing so much in your life, how has your life changed? And like, what do you get to do to celebrate your achievements? The first thing I would say, the first part of that, you know, is just, uh, you know, when you're younger, you know, you're a little bit more full of yourself. As you get older, you, you like get over yourself, meaning, uh, you know, it's like everybody's living their life. You know, what do you, what do you want to do to satisfy satisfy yourself truly and satisfy others rather than when you're younger it's like what can i do to impress people you know and i i try not to you know i, I focus more on you know that after i've gone through all this and i still continue to grow you know i try to you know empathy is the number one thing i really try to exercise you know um try to understand people like to where don't treat somebody how you want to be treated, treat, treat, try to treat somebody how they want to be treated. Uh, yes. As long as it, as it doesn't, you know, bend your, your, your own, you know, beliefs backwards. So that's, that's the first part of that. Uh, second part. Uh, what was the second part of the question? <laughs> what do you get to do now that you've achieved so much to celebrate your accomplishments? You know, the, you think that you'd say, oh, I bought this and I bought that. And you go through that, that point too. But what you do, what really does for you now is like making your employee, helping your employees out and, and telling them, look, we're going to have this growth, you know, we're going to start health insurance now and dental and vision, you know, and, and we're going to do a 401k. We've done that, you know, so adding these things to your business uh, and seeing the people you work with in your employment, that that's really gratifying. It's not like a, a you know. Granted, I have a nice nice house and I have a car, but I, not not a lot crazy, you know. Um, so then after you have those things, it's about making the people around you uh, feel like they're a part, you know, uh, and not exercising uh, with the bluster of of attaining something when other people around you don't. That's not fun. So that's, that's something that really I'm able to do now is kind of, you know, uh, people that work with me in my business and then simple pleasures, like where it all kind of just started is like, because I am now have, uh, 
I, I understand more about how business works and I am, I'm able to do more because I'm able to manage my time better. I'm able to set up processes and automations and leveraging that education, that wealth of education has now enabled me to do more things. So I'm able to do my business. I'm able to do um, more family time. And I'm also able to do stand-up comedy, which is that started all of that. And that's where, that's where the, the, the intellectual wealth comes into play to where, because I've, I've gone through so much struggling to understand what, how do I put a process? How do I automate it? How do I leverage it? How do I make sure that I can cut seconds off of minutes, minutes off of hours, hours off of days, days off of weeks, weeks off of months that, that has enabled me to, um, kind of have a level of, um, of freedom that, uh, I never thought I would have in the beginning of my business. Yes. Well, I am so proud of you and everything you've accomplished. Um, you have a very interesting story. And I feel like, man, it would be so awesome to watch your story as a movie if you ever think about making it. <laughs> yes. I've written a movie. It's called Forgetting Healdsburg. Mm-hmm. And it's loosely based on, you know, like, the craziest stories, you know, of, of a dysfunctional family up in wine country in Northern California. Uh, and I'll probably make it one day. I don't know if I'll be able to act in it. Might, you know, might age myself out of some of the parts, but because the family's a little younger, but uh, you know, if, if anybody likes stand-up comedy, they could check out longshotleaders.com, which will be michaelsteinmedia.com in about a day or two. And they'll could see the, uh, my stand-up uh, schedule. Uh, Cause I'll be performing out here in Texas. Uh, in a few months, we'll be performing out in LA. Actually, next uh, two weeks, I'll be uh, doing a, a spot in New York and Connecticut. Uh, and it's been a long time since I started stand up again. I'm just starting it. So, uh, and a lot, I talk about a lot of this uh, crazy stuff, um, you know, when I do stand up as well. So, yeah. Well, all right, then I'll make sure I link the information in the description so everybody can check it out. And hopefully, you know, we get to um, see you do some stand-up comedy and things like that, support you in whichever way we can. But yeah, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Brittany Mack. I love saying that name. <laughs> a lot of people say my whole name. <laughs> this uh, this one reason. What a cool name. <laughs> this one reason why I created my podcast. That's a star's name. You know that right there, right? You know that. You said what? That's a star's name. Thank you. I've heard that a lot too. <laughs> yep. Hopefully, you know, it grows big, really big. Nice.